Hello, you're listening to a Medieval Madness podcast. To see the accompanying visuals, please check out our YouTube channel. Cheers! The attitude towards love, sex, and marriage went through some interesting changes during the medieval period. Probably due to the prevalence of religion, especially Christianity, becoming such an important part of life. One impression that we often associate with medieval sexuality is that of complete repression. A world where a group of people, namely priests and other clerics who don't have sex, tell the people who are having sex how they should and shouldn't be having it, and even what their thoughts regarding sex should be. Now, as far as the church is concerned, all sexual thoughts and behaviour are sinful. Even those who are married are told that to enjoy the experience of sex is morally reprehensible, and the devil is always waiting to use sexual temptation to drag humanity down into a pit of damnation. Trapped by an overwhelming fear of committing sin, and with a total lack of understanding of one's own body, the poor medievals were punished by the church and shunned by society. The slightest slip in the expected moral standards may have made sex an abnormal part of medieval life. On the other hand, in opposition to this church-controlled, stricter moral code, there is a much bawdier image of life in the Middle Ages. One of noble lords keeping mistresses, monks and nuns engaging in clandestine liaisons, priests seducing their pentient parishioners, and peasants copulating behind the haystacks. A view that shows the medievals completely ignoring the church and its teachings, and dismissing them as hypocritical. Can you blame them? Let's travel back in time and get it on as we talk about sex during the Middle Ages. Welcome to Medieval Madness. Abstinence. It must have been quite confusing in the Middle Ages. Too much sex could be lethal, but no sex at all could be fatal. The medical faculties believed that long-term celibacy presented a problem and was harmful to health, especially for young men. It was thought to affect the heart and damage it, thereby harming other parts of the body. Sexual abstinence could cause headaches, weight loss, anxiety, and even death. So, although as a spiritual quality, celibacy was valued highly by the medievals, medically a celibate was as much at risk as a philanderer, and sex was thought to be necessary for a healthy life. Whilst away fighting on the Albigensian Crusade in the early 13th century, King Louis VIII of France insisted on remaining faithful to his wife, Blanche. On his return to Paris, Louis became ill and died quite quickly. The belief was that he had died because of his celibacy, the 12th century Norman poet Ambroise wrote that at the Siege of Acre, more than 3,000 men were killed, but 100,000 men died, quote, because from women they abstained. T'was for God's love that they restrained themselves. They had not perished, thus had they not been abstemious. A group of 11th century noblewomen wanted sex so badly that they petitioned the Duke of Normandy to prematurely end the ongoing military campaign so that they could get their husbands back early, just for that very reason. For most crusaders, celibacy was a temporary annoyance which would be ended as soon as they returned to their wives. But for the medieval clergy, sexual abstinence was a permanent state, leaving them with a difficult decision. 
Thomas Becket, who was Archbishop of Canterbury from 1162 until his murder in 1170, was advised by his doctor to give up celibacy, being told that it was bad for his health and not appropriate for his age or complexion. Becket ignored the advice and didn't die until many years later, even then by an assassin's blade. However, an unnamed bishop from Louvain, Belgium, wasn't as fortunate. He struggled to remain celibate for a long time. On his promotion to bishop, he abstained for a whole month, but his genitals grew so enlarged that he became very ill. His friends and family begged him to, quote, take a woman to himself. But he battled with the temptation. Unfortunately, he died within a few days. Humor-based medical theory prescribed that regular bleeding was necessary for those who practiced sexual abstinence as a way to balance the humors. Crying and sweating were also offered as alternatives to intercourse, so not much has changed. Medieval women were not invulnerable to illness because of celibacy either. The female seed that needed to be released during sex would build up within her body and cause the womb to suffocate. This produced a shortness of breath, fainting and even death in serious cases. Of course, the best way to avoid this was to marry and have regular, church-endorsed, missionary position intercourse. Other remedies included a strict diet and vinegar suppositories. Shockingly, and in complete opposition to the church, some physicians did recommend the option of masturbation. Medieval penitentials, which were basically handbooks on how to best confess your sins, recognized masturbation as a great big fat sin. Penances were quite heavy, anywhere between 30 days and 2 years of fasting were a typical punishment. And there were degrees of sexual sin, such as masturbation, masturbation with a friend, with someone of the same sex, sex in the wrong position, sex with a horse, and sodomy, which was the worst sin of all. And who you were mattered as well. If you were unmarried and had sex with a goat, then that's not as bad as a sin as if you were married and had sex with a goat. Your age was significant too. Being young gave you a license to get away with a lot, as the church and its confessors recognized that an unmarried youth lacked another opening for their desires, so to speak. So, as I'm sure you're pleased to hear, dear viewer, in the hierarchy of sexual sins, masturbation came quite low down. In fact, medical opinion regarded masturbation as a kind of protective treatment for both sexes. But a word of warning. A lack of moderation is always evidence of a bad habit. Albertus Magnus, a 13th century Dominican cleric who was a prolific writer, related a tale of a very horny monk who suffered an unhappy fate. He desired a beautiful lady 70 times, or for lack of a better term, spanked the monkey before morning prayers, and sadly died. During the autopsy, his eyes were found to have been obliterated, and his brain had shriveled to the size of a pomegranate. In medieval life, his death reflected just how dangerous the sin of masturbation could be. Magnus also stated that regarding the desires of women, masturbating by using, quote, their fingers or other instruments, and by the heat of friction, the humor comes out, thus reducing a woman's craving for sex, thereby keeping her chaste. And later medieval texts suggested that stimulation could be done by either the patient herself, or by a physician or midwife, if she wasn't married and her life was in danger, an excuse I'm sure they used a lot. This treatment could be performed without sin, 
Although John of Gaddesden, a 14th century doctor, believed the best cure for a libidinous woman was foreign travel, medication, and plenty of exercise. And women could get into trouble just for causing the arousal of a man, even within the bounds of marriage. The 11th century Bucard, Bishop of Worms in what is now Germany, wrote 20 books on canon law. In one, he states that women were not allowed to have bread dough kneaded into their nude buttocks. Apparently, then baking the bread and feeding it to their husbands caused the men to, quote, burn with love for them. Punishment for this strange sex act, which we can assume actually happened, was quite harsh, with penance lasting for two years. A Knight in Shining Armour The prevalence of knights and their chivalric behaviour caused the notion of love to also take on a new form in the Middle Ages. Only those who were completely submissive to their partner were able to experience this sort of perfect and completely unattainable love. This gallant champion idea gained popularity during the Middle Ages and produced a change in how medieval marriage was seen. The idea of courtly love began in the French courts of Provence, Aquitaine, and Burgundy in the late 11th century. But it was the major poets and authors of the time, such as Chaucer, Marie de France, and de Troyes, that popularised the idea that a true knight should be willing to do anything for the love and honour of his lady. These stories soon had the people believing that courtly love was the only path to true fulfilment. This kind of love didn't need to be based around marriage either, because it was more about love than sex. Because it was a time of devoutness towards the Christian church, it was no surprise when some decided that they wanted to live a chaste life. One woman who chose to take this path was Marguerite Kemp, who it is believed wrote the first autobiography in the English language. Marjorie was born in East Anglia, England, in the 14th century, and married her husband John when she was about 20. Known as a mystic, the extremely pious woman experienced multiple religious visions throughout her life. After giving birth to at least 14 children, Marjorie wished to take a vow of chastity, and can you blame her? In the summer of 1413, she discussed this with her husband as they were walking to the market one day. Without permission from her spouse, a life of celibacy was impossible. John asked Marjorie which she would prefer, that someone kill him with a sword, or that she have sex with him again. Marjorie chose the former, and so the negotiations began. John finally agreed to Marjorie's demand, as long as Marjorie paid off his debts and agreed to eat dinner with him every Friday. It seems that Marjorie fasted on Fridays, and John, for unknown reasons, wished this to stop. The obligation of sexual consent only went one way in medieval Jewish society though. Then it was the right of a woman to demand that her husband have intercourse with her. This was one of three things a Jewish woman could demand in her marriage, the other two being food and clothing. This probably had more to do with a woman's right to have children, rather than from a pleasure aspect. It could also be connected to the much earlier practice of polygamy, when the rights of one wife should not take precedence over the rights of another. Virginity For the medievals, the idea of being a virgin was not just a physical state, but also a mental one as well. Even thinking unclean thoughts was enough for the church to render you no longer pure, and this was true for both men and women. Masturbation and being penetrated by a demon were equally unfavourable when trying to safeguard one's honour. 
but it was believed that a loss of virginity could be won back. And no, not just by playing Magic the Gathering. In one of her visions, Marjorie Kemp was told by Jesus that she would be a virgin once again in heaven, because she was so pure of heart and mind, despite the fact that she had given birth to over a dozen children. Unfortunately though, there were tales of people throwing themselves into nettles, or immersing themselves into icy water, and of priests castrating themselves, for this unattainable ideal of purity. The Things We Do For Love Medieval ideas about contraception could be quite strange too. The withdrawal method was popular, as was jumping up and down immediately after the sex act, and also having the woman sneeze. But there are accounts of using mint around the genital area, and hanging a weasel's testicles around one's neck in the hope of avoiding a pregnancy. These attempts at contraception mean it is wrong to think that in the Middle Ages, every couple was happy to go about producing dozens of offspring. For many, attempts of contraception were put to use. Penis enlargement was also a thing, and solutions for this ranged from washing the member with warm sheep's milk, to rubbing it with a mixture of chopped earthworms and jujube oil. And if all else failed, there was always the option of beating your penis with a stick. Apparently, they all achieved the same result, whatever that might have been. Thank you so much for watching this episode of Medieval Madness. Please do subscribe and leave a comment if you enjoy the content, and we'll see you next week for another video. Cheers!